Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and thanks so much for listening to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. Uh, for today, I have another bonus episode for you. So for all of you who listened to my celibacy talk in one of the previous episodes, thank you for your support. And for those of you who have seen me live and offer presentations, I'm so grateful for the feedback that I receive. Always is a gift to be able to speak in front of audiences and to share a message and to connect. And so what I'm giving you today is another one of my presentations that I gave recently. This is back in May that I offered this talk on women uh, shame and social media. I gave this to a group of uh, beautiful young women, thanks to Lauren Lagarde for her invitation to speak to this group. And so what you're getting in this presentation is kind of just looking at the science. How do we how do we recognize and acknowledge the differences between men and women in terms of neurological and psychological generalities that are there? And then what are the particular challenges that women are facing in our modern day? How does shame manifest itself within a woman's heart? And how does that even play out in the social media realms, in the online forums and conversations and apps and all that stuff. So that's what you're getting with this talk. I hope that you enjoy it. If you do like it, please let me know and tell me what you think. You can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on those platforms. So God bless everybody, and I hope that you enjoy this talk. Well, good evening, ladies. How are you doing? Enjoying your meal? What a beautiful venue, huh? Is this amazing? Give me a break. I, I drove up and I was like, where are we? Like, this is, only a woman would pick a place like this, you know? That's so spectacular. Um, so as Lauren said, my name is Dr. Mario Sacasa. Uh, I am a marriage and family therapist. That's the, my license. I've been in, in practice probably since 2009, and so I've had the gift of working with a number of couples and young adults and people in the sermon and all stages of life and struggles that they've had. Uh, counseling's good work. It's, it's draining, though, um, but, it's, but it's good work. Since August, I've had the opportunity to work at a company called uh, Willwoods Faith and Marriage. It's a nonprofit here in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And working at Faith and Marriage has given me an opportunity to get back into working with couples in a ministerial aspect and doing more presentations, being available for things like this. Um, I host a podcast uh, called Always Hope, which is trying to find the goodness of life even amidst the difficulties and struggles that are there. So um, I will say, leading into this, I was asked by Emily here, uh, she said, are you nervous? And I said, man, I give talks all the time. But to be honest, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I normally speak to a bunch of dudes and guys, it's awesome, but in front of a bunch of women, oh my goodness, I'm like, how much of my soul can you already see? You know, it's... it's Holy mercy, I feel so vulnerable right now, speaking as, you know, Brene Brown said. Um, so a little bit about myself. My family, were from Nicaragua, and we moved around quite a little bit. I'm the youngest of four, two boys and two girls. I give thanks to the Lord for the gift of my sisters and for the gift of my mom. Uh, my sisters, really, the best marriage preparation I ever received in my life was my older sisters. So this is an opportunity for me to thank all you beautiful women who have younger brothers. Know that they listen, even if you don't think that they are, okay? Because they are. They're getting it. They're understanding how the interactions are. My wife, Chris, and I, we've been married for, as we said, 16 years, and we have four sons ranging between 14 and 8. Uh, Chris and I were prearranged, and we started having kids at 8 years old, which is, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know if I can get away with that joke anymore. You know, I got, I got, I got white in the beard now, and that's because of them, you know, but uh, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so we have four boys. And so the house just like drips with testosterone. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, 
we don't have nice things. Things get broken all the time. It's just, it's just, ugh, like it is what it is. Um, so my dear wife, you can pray for her, you know. <laughs> we don't even have a dog. Like at least we could have the female dog. So what do I want to start with today? Um, I want to share kind of my own experiences um, and some of the differences that I've seen growing up and being married to a woman for 16 years and in valuing and honoring her perspective and things that I've learned as a husband and the differences that are just there and unique. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just some of the neurological and behavioral differences that are there with, with women and men and the strengths that women certainly bring to the table, while at the same time recognizing that there are limitations on both parts, talking about that, and then bringing that into a conversation about social media and how social media can influence or, or play with, with, with all of this that's there. Um, I'll start by this. I recognize that every single person is unique, right? And every single person is, is unrepeatable and is made in, in, in a particular way. Um, in a Catholic tradition, we would say that everybody's made in the image and likeness of God, certainly, but even just in a relational sense, in a natural sense, we can recognize that everybody's unique and, and unrepeatable, and there's a, an inherent dignity that's with every person. So whenever we start a conversation, whenever I try to start a conversation about some of the differences that are there between men and women, I know that we're always going to step into some territories where somebody in the room is not going to agree with what's being said. And I get it. Because when we look at studies, sociological studies, large studies, we can look at large groups and we can compare differences in large groups and say, there are generally speaking some differences between men and women, women and, and men, generally speaking. But then once we get down to the particulars of any individual person, it may not be so clear. So why do I say that? Um, because I want you to, to, to just work with me a little bit and recognizing that we're going to talk about some of the generalities first and recognizing that that's not stereotypes. And stereotypes are, are the difference. Stereotypes, I've heard, are generalities gone awry. And maybe your experience doesn't necessarily match what generally is out there with women, then, uh, then that's okay. God bless you. You have a great gift and, and beauty that's unique and that's your own. Awesome. Do it. Um, and I'll speak a little bit about myself also and what that means you know, with regards to men. So that's one thing I want to start off by saying, that there are differences, and we're going to talk about that. So please be, bear with me as we, as we deal with some of the generalities that are there. The second thing is this. Whenever we get into a conversation about differences between men and women, almost always it's done in a way um, that is interpreted, I should say, that is disparaging towards women. And, and I hope that like, you get from me that I will never, never try to do that deliberately. And when we talk about differences, we can honor that there are differences that are there while recognizing that there is equality. Equality doesn't mean we're exactly the same. Equality means that we can recognize that there are strengths and weaknesses, generally speaking, with women. And, 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 and same thing, you know, strengths and weaknesses, generally speaking, with men. And that the two should have some type of complementary nature that when we look at the whole, we can see that there's something beautiful in the relationships that exist between men and women. And the two bring something good out of the other. So we can never fully define one without the other because we're always in the context of relationship. We are relational beings. Even men were relational beings. This is who we are. And, and we have to kind of always be defined in the context of relationship. But never, and I repeat this, never in the context of superiority or inferiority. And so I hope that as we step into some of this, that you can work with me and, and, and respect the fact that I'm, that I'm not trying to step in stereotypes nor am I trying to disparage or, or speak negatively about women. Thumbs up? Okay. What do girls do? I don't know what girls do. Guys have thumbs up. I guess everybody gets thumbs up. Fist pump, that. 
cool. Um, women, you know, you're a mystery to us men. I just want you to know that. Like any of you who are married or dating a guy, like just love us. Okay. <laughs> Sincerely. I mean, it's like, we're trying. Okay. Most of us are really trying, but we're not operating with the same machinery. Like we're just on different planes when it comes to like emotional intuition and, and capacity to pick up certain things. Like it, so this is part of the gifts right here. You know, women's, women are, 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 have a greater capacity to be um, more sensitive to emotional cues, right? So right out of the gates, a woman can walk into a room and is already kind of picking up things that a guy just doesn't. Same thing when it comes to also vocal intonations. Women can actually pick up things in ways that men can't. And so sometimes the wife, you know, turns to the husband and says, hey, did you hear what I was saying? And he might say, no, I, I, I didn't. And he might genuinely mean, actually, I know I didn't, you know, like, but some of that is the gift. And you think about why, okay, um, precisely because of what I'm hearing. See, I'm already hearing it in the background, right? A woman can hear a cry of her child and immediately pick up after a while, understanding the, the intuition and the gift that she has, the relationship she has with her particular child, can pick up the differences in the cry and understand what the different needs are of the child, right? So a certain cry can lead to a, a change in diaper, or a certain cry can mean that they're hungry, or a certain cry can mean that there's something wrong and I need to get up and take care of that. There, there's a fear, right? Most guys, and that's, you know, hey, you are, what's wrong? You know, like, <laughs> baby's crying, you know? Why can't you talk? Speak to me, you know? Give me, give me something to work with, right? Not that obtuse, but, but usually that's the case. Um, so women have the capacity to be able to do that. So there's greater sensitivity, um, greater, I want to use the word here that's important for, for, for my conversation moving on, is, is awareness. There's greater awareness and attention to, to awareness that, that men just kind of um, don't have the same kind of equipment. So in, in the neurologically speaking, what we see with women and men is that women do have more kind of connections and, and synapses happening across kind of the hemispheres. What that means is a woman is thought is, is able to go in different places and make connections and, and, and movements and stuff. And, and particularly when it comes to the right hemisphere that connects with the limbic system, which is the, the emotional center of, of, of all of us, it's, it's a more primal part of, of our DNA, women have more connections that go into the limbic system. So that connects from the right to the left. So what that means is a couple of different things. That means that women are more attentive emotionally, but what it also means is that women have a greater capacity to do something that is incredibly complex for a man. And that is put a word to an emotion, okay? Most guys really struggle with that. Verbally, so it's not that guys don't struggle with their emotions, right? Guys have depth, we know this. We, we, there's studies that show when it comes to, um, so a couple, couple studies that I, that I can point to here specifically. When they study uh, boys and girls after divorce, um, in the long run, boys do worse after parental divorce than girls do, okay? That's, that's one. Um, in the long run, also, after miscarriages, women, if spouses or intimate partners, after a miscarriage, initially, it's the woman that struggles with it. Um, but then after a while, in the long run, the grieving process, hasn't, the needle hasn't moved much for the man. And so the man, after years, they would say after 18 months to two years, you find that men still struggle with the, with the grieving more than the women do. Why? Why? We struggle with putting words to, to our feelings. It's a gift that you have, that you can kind of experience it and put a word to it. But for a man, because we, our brain is kind of more in, in boxes, 
where we don't have as much connection across the hemispheres. We have more connection within each segment. So there's more interior processing, which leads to one track mind for better, for worse, ladies. I mean, it leads to that. There's a gift in that too. But the challenge of, of going from uh, my side of the room, the right hemisphere, right? The emotions to go to the left, which is putting a word to something that's a cognitive exercise, is like going into the cellar, you know, like, and then coming out and then like opening, taking that word and then bringing it back over here, right? It's, it's a little more laborious for a guy to be able to do that. But women, man, efficiency, able to do that. Freedom to be able to just kind of go and spin and, and do that. Um, so I reiterate to you, beautiful ladies, be patient with us men. Now, I'll say, as I said, spoke earlier about generalities, um, I, uh, I'm a male counselor. You know, that's like, that doesn't really happen, I realize. That's, that's it's not. And so, um, for whatever reason, that just, it, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to talk, and I love talking. And so I see that with each of my clones, I mean, my sons. You know, they, they, <laughs> the boys are great, and, and man, they, they, yeah, they talk, you know, like all the time. I'm like, all right, guys, love you guys, but like, Let's turn it down a little loud, a little loud, right? Um, so the gift is designed in that way. Complexity, complexity. Um, my wife and I, when we first got married, we wanted to practice fertility uh, awareness-based methods of natural family planning. That means that we took courses in understanding the nature of her rhythm and the cycles and what goes and when progesterone goes up, what does that do? When, when the estrogen comes up, what does that do? And how that's a beautiful cycle is the right word that's there, that, that happens to you women every month. <laughs> I remember learning that, and I like stared at my wife, and I was like, every month, really? <laughs> She's like, every month. I'm like, what? That's like unbelievable. Men, when it comes to hormones, like so women, your hormones go like this every month, right? And, it's a, and, it's, and, and, and let's speak in the positive. I'm being sincere. There's, there's a gift in it. There's beauty in it. It's, 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 it's all interconnected with, with your fertility and the gift of your womanhood and, and the capacity to be a mother and to bear life inside of you and, and the gift that's there. And so it's not a curse. Your fertility is not a curse. Let me just say that, please. Your fertility is a gift. It's, it's beautiful. And with the beauty comes complexity and, 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 and high emotion and changes that happen all the time. Men, by and large, have testosterone that just goes one way. You know, it just... It, 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 guys, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really small. Let's do my graph this way since you guys are in front of me. Okay, see, guys, and then when they turn 13, it's like a 400% increase in testosterone. So when you have teenage boys, you'll, you'll recognize that, you know, it's like, oh, you're a man. All right, here's the razor, you know, why don't you start shaving? Let's see, here's the deodorant because your armpits stink, you know, like it's time to start taking care of yourself. And then that stays until the man peaks testosterone levels about 28 and then it slowly declines every year for the rest of his life. That's it. Like, that's how our hormones work. So while yours go every month, ours go bam, bam, and then slow decline. That's it, by and large. Not everybody, but that's typically how it is. And so when it comes to the emotional life, which obviously is, is, is affected by one's hormonal state, um, a book that I would strongly recommend that I've loved is a book by uh, a neuropsychiatrist. Excuse me. Her name is Dr. Luanne Brizendine. The book is called The Female Brain, and she wrote a counterpart a few years later called The Male Brain, which in The Female Brain goes through women's development and how a woman's brain develops from neonatal development all the way to the end of her life and the beauty that's there. When, making, when talking about the hormone levels and the effects that it has on a woman's body and on her emotional life, she makes the comparison that it's kind of like the weather, you know, that the weather can change any day. And it's just, it's, it's sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it, 
it's windy, sometimes it's not. You know, it looked like it was gonna rain earlier, but now it's not. I guess in Southern Louisiana, it's always muggy, so maybe that's not the best analogy here, <laughs> right? But the weather's always changing, and so there's always a place where a woman's emotions are always kind of in flux, because there's a gift that's happening there. For a man, typically, should the, the, the words that she uses then is it's more like climate, where the climate is more, it's more steady long-term, right? If you were to look at the weather, here in southern Louisiana and take a step back and look at it over the course of a century, you would now understand what climate looks like, right? Um, what the climate of southern Louisiana looks like is different than what the weather is. That makes sense in terms of that comparison? Um, so that complexity is, is, is certainly there. Back to me, looking at my wife, taking these classes, understanding what's going on. I, I was really just um, uh, amazed, to be, to be, to be honest. Um, that, how do I say this? Like, because subjectively you have to experience that. Like subjectively you have to experience the rise and the fall of progesterone, the rise and the fall of estrogen, the, the, the connectivity that does to, what that does to your body, the awareness of all things. And, and subjectively you, you women have to, have to experience that in a way that, that I just don't, I don't, I don't. Like I got my own struggles, I get it, but they're not that. Or I have my own gifts, but they're not that. And so I, I just honor that as one of those places where my wife is just different, just different. And there is a mystery inside of her that I'm trying to honor and trying to respect and trying to, to, to understand as best as I possibly can as a man without ever being able to experience the reality of that phenomenon um, subjectively. Um, so I reiterate to honor that, please, um, because it is a gift. It is a gift. And, and and we need to do better in our society to, to honor the gift of, of women's fertility and her cycle. So connectedness, awareness, um, when it comes to women and in, in, in the way that they perceive things, women tend to have a, 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 a gift of intuition that men tend to not have. And again, generally speaking, this is the case where not always, but men tend to towards logic and reason, not that women don't. Of course, plenty of women scientists and doctors that are beautiful and doing a wonderful job. But we can see, even with engineering, there's still a reason why these, why these professions are male-dominated. And in some cases, there, it's a lack of, of, of sexism or things of that nature, certainly. But I don't think that accounts for the fullness of the equation. There are some things that are, that are just there. And, we, and, it, and it doesn't mean that women aren't as good as men in math. They are. The studies show that. It's not that it's the capacity of doing math or science. It's the environment that becomes male-driven. Um, and that the environment um, is, it doesn't allow for women who are really good at math to still be social and connected in, in ways, because it's still male, male, male dominated in, in that regard. That's the issue. Well, among others, okay? So, so I don't want to spin out of that, but that's, that's part of what's there. Um, but, but women do have this gift of intuition and do have this gift of a gut feeling, you know, the sense of, of something's not right. And uh, there are plenty of times where, where my wife will get up in, in the middle of the night and she'll have a feeling or something, and, 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 and I have to honor that, you know? I, I can't. I can't be so quick to be like, oh, well, that wasn't that or something. Now, sometimes she's, she's off. Sometimes they're, um, um, you know, we're southern Louisiana, so, so, you know, we have these little things in the house that, um, <laughs> you know, they're small and they hover to the ground. And Well, they're not really small. They're more like this big. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Roaches, right? And so she can hear them and wake up. And it's like, whoa, okay. You know, I'm like, okay, let's, we'll get it. We'll get it, you know. But anyways. Um, Honoring that, but at the same time recognizing, hey, maybe maybe you're being a little bit, a little, a little too much. Um, so we, that's the gift between both, right? We can't accuse women of being irrational, certainly, um, but uh, but but certainly the, the challenges are are are, are there. 
And so we need both. We need both. We need both. So with that complex machinery that all you beautiful women in this room have to, not have to, but, but willingly, beautifully, subjectively experience day to day, this is the gift that's there, right? This ability to, to perceive things, to, to be more attentive, to be able to manage multiple tasks at the same time. That, that tends to be one of the gifts that women have more than men do. The beauty of, of childbearing, for example, like that is that, I mean, hips, right? Part of it is that the hips come, men don't have hips to carry a, a child. So when a, when a man carries a child, it's, it's more with their, with their biceps and their arm muscles. So we wear out more easily. But because women have the hips, they can, they can put the child right there, hold it, and then still do cook dinner, you know, like, <laughs> or fight the other kids off, you know, step away, right? The ability to manage more tasks and to do more things at the same time. Um, the flip side of that, though, is that when you're more sensitive, you're more sensitive, right? Um, and then that's when we start getting into some of the issues. Both men and women do struggle with depression and anxiety, but when we look at our country as a whole and we look at the rates of depression and anxiety, they're m- much higher uh, when it, with women than it is with men. It makes sense in light of this proposal that you know, when you're more sensitive and more aware, more attuned socially, or even to your own feelings, there's more voices that are happening that you're having to compete with. It's louder in there. Things are spinning more in there than they are typically for men. And that's harder to silence when there's more noise going inside of you. Um, because there's more kind of stuff happening. So depression and anxiety rates are, are, are higher um, with, with women. Women do feel the social pressures more uh, than, than men do. Like I said, being more attentive to nonverbals, that means if you say something and somebody responds, you're more attuned to like, ooh, there's something wrong or what's going on, or you can even conjecture already what's happening within it. Um, when we go to parties or galas or situations, um, I, 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 again, generally speaking, I have found that at a big social event, one of the worst things that can happen is if the same woman is wearing, if another woman is wearing the same dress that you're wearing, you know, that's like, and why is that? Because it's, a, it's an instant comparison. If she's wearing the same outfit that I'm wearing, is she wearing it better than I am? That's immediately the judgment that happens. And if she is, it's, 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 it's a, it brings about this sense of, um, of, of self, self, self-worth. So when there is all of this activity and, and, and increase in depression and anxiety, what we see, and this is really connected to Brené Brown's research, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, is that women then um, sometimes lack or struggle with, with, with being vulnerable. Right? With, with, in Brené Brown, the, the, what she, she makes a beautiful comparison or an analogy where she says vulnerability equals courage. So courage, not in the sense of cowardice, or in the sense of running away or being fear-driven, but courage in, in, in the, the, the difficulty of just showing up, of just showing up and being present. That's really hard when there's a lot going on inside. And there's a lot going on inside here. And when the flux is happening emotionally, cerebrally, thought it's, it's hard to just kind of put that in perspective to stop and to say, I just need to show up in life. I need to get out of my head. And I need to just be present. And I need to be courageous enough to actually step out of my comfort zone. So that courage or, or the lack thereof that can happen is, is really a challenge. We're seeing a generation now that has been raised with hel- helicopter parenting. Um, and helicopter parenting, if we can define it, I guess, is, is um, when a child is, is, um, is, is constantly supervised and is not free to make um, decisions, and really, when you're not free to make decisions, then what happens is you're not free to, to fail. 
And when you're not free to fail, you're not free then to learn from your failures. And when you're not free to learn from your failures, you don't develop resiliency. Because it's only in our failures and in our understanding of who we are in our failures that we then can then return to that with, with some victory and develop resiliency in response to that. So we're having a generation, unfortunately, that's being raised that doesn't have resiliency, that doesn't have grit, that doesn't have a capacity to, to engage in the difficulties of life. And so when comparing men and women then, what we're finding then is that women who have been raised by helicopter parents, these younger young teens and, and, and young adults, are, are, um, um, are, are less confident compared to their counterparts from, from before and are more anxious. And you think about that, like what's anxiety? Why, why, why do we have fear? Why, why do we experience fear? Fear of the unknown, fear of am I good enough, fear of can I do it? Um, in, in, in the, the antidote to anxiety is twofold. is one, having security, having a base that says that I'm free to be able to make decisions and free to explore the world. But then two, having the capacity to, and the resiliency to actually turn and face our fear. But that, that turning is a hard process. And if you haven't had that experience of, of actually doing adult things before, it becomes really difficult to do them for the first time. Studies are showing um, with regards to this young, young generation, the teenagers right now, that they're having actually less sex than any generation um, prior to since the 1960s. And, and it's not just because abstinence workshops are doing their job. That's actually not really <laughs> the reason before all the conservatives in the room cheer. It's actually because they're not engaging socially. And they're not taking risks. To, guys aren't taking risks to ask girls out. Girls aren't taking risks to put themselves in positions where they can be asked out. And people just aren't engaging. And now we can get into the conversation about smartphones. Because people are hiding behind their smartphones for every bit of social interaction. What's the challenge there when we're behind behind our smartphone? Smartphones, unfortunately, um, by and large, are a controlled medium. There's no room for accidental mistakes. Because everything is fabricated. So I can, if someone sends me a text message, I can look at the text message and I probably go through 15 options before I reply. You know, cool. No, oh, cool isn't good. You know, awesome. Exclamation point or not? <laughs> Exclamation point. Ooh, emoji. What emoji do I want to put right now? It's good. No, I used that one like three times this week. I'm not doing that one. We got to do another one. Is there a gift that really works well right now? Yeah, that's a good one. Someone sent me that one. I'm going to do that. One. And then you send it off, right? Cool, yeah, great. You know, that's how it works. So conversation becomes uh, mediated through um, a lens that allows us to create, um, or rather I should say fabricate, a version of myself that may not actually be myself. Because it's all mediated through this filter. See, when we're engaging socially like we are right now, I run the risk of fumbling my words. I run the risk of saying something stupid. I run the risk of sticking my foot in my mouth. I run the risk of doing something that may be offensive. And then you would have to have to respond to that, to me. That's life. That's life. That's what relationships are. And when we trust one another in a family that trusts one another, or friends in a community of people that trust one another, you give freedom for the fullness of the expression. Freedom for those mistakes to take place. Don't cry over spilled milk. Don't yell at your kids over spilled milk. Although, try, try. Sorry. I have long days. I have long days. You know, I try. But there should be freedom in families and in communities for 
failure or failure. Freedom to make mistakes. Because as I said, I want my kids, I want my kids to learn from their mistakes. I want them to be free enough to make mistakes that they can do it in my home and that those consequences of the mistakes can play themselves out, that they can learn from them so that they can become smarter and savvier as adults, but more so than that, so that they can be more resilient. Because, because this is the lie of both the digital media marketing as well as the lie of unfortunately taking care of all your needs for your kids with regards to helicopter parenting is that at some point, you know what we realize? At some point, every single one of us, I don't care, men, women, I don't care. We all realize one fundamental truth. You know what that fundamental truth is? Life is hard. Life is hard. And as much as we try to fabricate a version of ourselves or we try to um, uh, live in our safe little bubble, whether it's online or otherwise, the realities and the hardships of life smack us. For me, it was about 30. I had a nice little bubble. And then I got to 30, and life just went bam. I was like, oh, this sucks. You know, like, like I wasn't prepared for this, you know. It's tough. It was like, we've been in New Orleans now for about seven years, so I was probably like 31 or so. I was operating a counseling practice in New Orleans, in, in Tallahassee. My wife's from Tallahassee. I was working with a group that I had to, to leave from, and I was on my own trying to establish a practice of myself, and I didn't get any clients. Any small business owners here? Anybody? You know what happens when you don't bring in money for four months? You don't bring in money for four months. You know That's what happens, right? And so when I'm the sole breadwinner, all that pressure is on me. And when that money wasn't coming in, when clients weren't coming in, I, we were in a state of, of panic, and, and we were near bankruptcy. I was trying every option that I could in Tallahassee. And and it got to a point where I remember, I now for you, it was Christmas 2011. We're sitting at the dinner table, and I had one of the hardest conversations I ever had with my wife. My wife's from Tallahassee. Her family's in Tallahassee. That's where, she, that's where she's from. I'm sitting at the dinner table and telling her, a year from now, we will not be in Tallahassee. Every door has closed for us here. I've tried everything I can possibly do to keep us here, but we have to look elsewhere because there's nothing else here for us. And that's hard. That's hard. It was a month also where what was coming in was not equating um, what was going out, or what was going out was more. And so we crossed that threshold where we're living off of debt for the first time in our life. And we did that for about six months until things settled in a certain way, or opportunity presented itself for me to take a nice job here in New Orleans. And so we've been here. Happy we're here also. <laughs> I am too. See, I believe in the hand of providence in all things. I, I believe certainly that even our struggles and our challenges that we experience in life somehow have a purpose and a meaning behind them. And so I know that's one of the questions is how do you find meaning in that? Well, one, we have to believe that not everything is senseless. One, we have to believe that there's purpose behind it and that there's a lesson that we can learn, even as, as arbitrary as it may be. But we have to hold tight to what that is and try to find that within ourselves. And then now, seven years later, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here with you lovely ladies being able to give this, you know, somewhat wonderful presentation, I hope. Where am I at? Social media. Let's talk about social media. We talked about then this, this, this window that exists, um, that we can fabricate reality to our liking. We do it both ways. And the challenge is that, we, that women do, do it both ways. Okay, so, so if you give a phone to a 16-year-old boy and you give a phone to a 16-year-old girl, boys are almost always going to do one thing. And it's actually not pornography, because I know most of you may 
think a lot of boys do do that. It's not that. The, the, more so than that, when a boy gets a smartphone, one of the first things he'll do is he'll download games. And he'll play games. When a woman gets a, gets a smartphone, what's one of the first things she downloads? Instagram. That's it. You got it. Instagram and Snapchat. Okay? So think about why. If we talked about with men in terms of the way things are set up for men, um, video games taps into uh, something very masculine. Of course, there are women gamers. But for men, it, it, does, it taps into something very masculine, which is a very clear objective, right? And then a very, not just a clear objective, a clear reward for that objective, for completing that objective. And then the next objective is a little bit more challenging than the one before. And so that is very task-oriented. Here's the problem. We solve the problem. I get the gold star. Yay, 5,000 points because I beat that guy. Awesome. Oh, the next guy's coming. Let's go beat him up also, right? And so, so then the next stage actually becomes more challenging. So it's, it's very linear, very sequential, and it, and, and it works for a male brain. And so actually for men, it can, it can be real social. Actually, men, men engage socially when, when, when they're doing things. The male brain is most efficient when it's actually getting stuff done. This is why guys bond over fishing trips. This is why guys bond over sports, over, over competing, over battles, over projects. I, I say with my boys, they have to have one of three things at all times. It's, it's a, an adventure, a project, or a battle. And usually there isn't an adventure. Sometimes there's a project, and when there's neither, they're fighting each other, right? <laughs> and that happens often. That's always the lowest common denominator, all right? But for women then, girls, why? The first thing they get is, is Instagram and Snapchat. Worldwide, or I think it's worldwide, Pinterest users, 81% of total Pinterest users are women. Instagram, I think worldwide total percentage, it's like 71% of Instagram users are, 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 are women. Um, when you get to Facebook, it's like 50-50, 53% men, I think, and 47% women, so about 50-50. Then when you get to YouTube, YouTube is mostly men. YouTube is 61% men that, that use it. Again. Think about it in the generalities that we spoke about earlier, the large, big brushes, um, context of, of how men and women kind of operate, and it kind of makes sense, right? So for YouTube, it's, it's educational, it's instructive. You want to go see somebody playing that level. That still doesn't make sense to me. I just have to say, I watch my boys watching a YouTube video of somebody playing the game <laughs> instead of playing the game themselves. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not of this generation. You know, like it just... Play the game yourself. But what they're doing is they want to learn how to beat the game. That's what it is, right? They want, to, they want to know how that guy did it so that way they can do it themselves. Social media then becomes this place where or Instagram, Snapchat becomes a place of, of, of engagement for women. I want to say this in all honesty. There is a gift of social media. Okay, so let's not, let's not just poo-poo the whole thing or talk bad about it. There's a real gift to the internet. There's a real gift to interconnectivity. As I said, I, I host a podcast and Last week, I, I, it's a small show. I, um, it, it's growing. Beautiful. There it is right there. I heard that. <laughs> I don't think that came out on the microphone, but we're good. Um, uh, so I host a podcast. And, and, and the gift of the internet is that I, you know, I post it and, and it's out there. And I, we send emails every week about updates of the show and all this stuff. And so through, through social media, you know, I have a, a listener in Dallas who, who found the show and, and liked on one of the episodes and then direct messaged me or DM'd me on, on Facebook to, to say that she did. And I was like, this is, this is the gift, right? I mean, like, this is what it's supposed to be is, is to help people, to serve people. So when we talk about meaning, how to find meaning, 
um, in life or in social media. Like this is, this is, I could sum everything up I want to say by just this one quote. This is really it. You get nothing out of this. This is, this is really it. If you are going to use social media to actually bring purpose and meaning into your life, then it can't be about you. That's it. It can't be about you. If you are going to use those platforms, use them for the good of others, whatever that means, however you want to bless people, however you want to encourage people, however you want to help people, man, freaking use it for that. As soon as it becomes about you, then it becomes a game. And then it becomes a question of comparison. And that's the dark side of it all. Because all that social awareness, all that attunement, all that stuff that happens in the physical realm here in a room where women is more sensitive to all that, there used to be a place where in high school or in engagements that you could walk away from it. So I go to school, I see how people are dressed or whatever, and then, or they're mean girls, I can walk away from those girls or, or go to somewhere, maybe, hopefully, you know, go to the cafeteria, go away. But at least I can go home, right? Even if I can't get away from school, I can go home. And when I go home, I'm away from them and I can be at home. You can't do that on the internet. Because this darn thing is on you all the time. And you're scanning. And you're, 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 you're looking and you're aware. And it's on all the time. All the time. And it's hard to get away from it. So you can't. So because everybody is um, fabricating or filtering, unintended, their life, um, and to, to look a particular way. I'm, so now that I'm on Instagram, I'm like, I just got on social media. I will say this. I just got on social media back in October and I'm really learning it. I'm like, you know, go big or go home. You know, like I want to do this. I want to do this right. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to figure this thing out. Um, so I look at my Instagram page the other day and I was like, ah, I'm not managing the color schemes well, you know, so <laughs> getting it happens. All right. So on Facebook, you don't have to worry about that because you guys are with me. Right? The platform, it's different. You can go to someone's Facebook page and you don't see everything that they've done right, right at it. But Instagram, you do. And so you have to, or not have to, but if you, if you want to be a social media influencer, you then only take pictures with the three colors that you choose, right, as your palette. And so some people do that, right? The problem is, well, I mean, that's fine. That's your brand. You want to you manage your brand. I get it. No big deal. The issue is you can't confuse that for reality. So yeah, your best friend only takes pictures in a soft pink and white. Awesome. That's her. Her whole life, though, is not soft pink and white. The problem is, though, when all the pictures that you see, and you're staring at this thing, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and you're starting to get tired, and that blue light is coming at you, and you can't go to bed because you didn't turn on your night shift feature, (laughs) and all you've been doing is piddling on this thing, the terrible thought comes into your mind that her whole life is just pink, soft pink and white. Her whole life is perfect. My life is not soft pink and white. And that's when the negativity starts coming in. It's when you start comparing yourself to something that isn't even real. And like intellectually, like I can say that and we all get it. We're like, yeah, that's true. I get it. You're right, man. You're, you're smart. <laughs> but you, you, you get it, right? You get it. But when you're tired and you've been staring at this thing for 45 minutes and you for the last 15 minutes have been trying to convince yourself to turn it off, but you just can't because it's a long day and there's a little dopamine kick in action in your head and you just feel a little good about it, that negative thought is really hard to let go of in those moments. And that's when it's at its worst. 
Because in that moment, then what happens is that you end up turning it off and putting it away. And the last thoughts that you end up feeling about yourself are ones of negative comparison to someone else. Man, bless you. Bless all of us. Right? We all do it. How many likes did she get? Right? I went to the same restaurant and took a picture off that menu. And I only got 57 likes. But that, you know what, got 65. Right? Or 120. And then you do the quick calculation. 120. 60. That means people like her twice as much as they like me. It's not that clear, but you understand like intuitively we kind of do all this process inside of us. So that's one place is this risk, this negative comparison against reality. That's one. The second thing that we find, so, so with that, when we, when we studied social, um, uh, there's, there's a great study that came out um, looking at uh, men and women and, and the, the differences then when it comes to, to, uh, to Instagram particularly. And with Instagram, then looking at, Looking at women, what happens is that when women are looking at Instagram, a couple of things kind of come up. Um, one is the comparison. And the comparison, because uh, comparison is, is, is um, on Instagram, because it's all visually, um, it, it's, it's really about, what's the word? Oh, beauty, right? Beauty, that's the word. She's more beautiful, right? Or her page is more beautiful. And so then you compare yourself to that and think that you're not as beautiful, not as attractive. So that's one where that can be. The second thing that we see with heavy users is the word that I'm sure most of you know. It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. So for teenagers, where their life is their social network and they haven't quite developed maturity yet to be able to make distinctions on things, when you are home on a Friday night with your parents because your dad wants to do a movie night and is adamant that as a family, we're going to be together and watch a movie. And you're watching the movie, but you're bored because you're the oldest and your younger brothers want to watch some boring boy movie that you don't really care about. And you pull out your phone while you're sitting on the couch, supposedly with your family, and you go right to Instagram. And then the first thing that pops up is your friends, all, four, four of your friends, all hanging out at some party. This movie sucks, you know, like, yeah. right? That type of reaction of, of the fear, of, like, I've been left out. Why didn't they invite me? Why wasn't I, why aren't I there? Am I not cool enough? Am I not liked enough? Do they not want me around? They look like they're having a great time. See, but because everybody's doing this filter, the thing is, they may be having a miserable time at the party, but they just took the one picture where they, everybody was able to fake smile and posted that thing and, and write some cute little caption, and then that's what gets sent out. Anybody's watched the new uh, um, uh, Jumanji movie, the remake of the Jumanji movie, and watched that? There's a great scene at the beginning, right, with a girl. She's like, you know, trying to take a picture of herself and everything's fabricated. And she takes a picture and it's like beautiful, the whole thing. And she goes, oh, you know, just woke up, you know, type of thing, right? <laughs> so I've just heard this. At, you, know, that's, you know what that's called? It's called a hashtag scam for the gram. That's, that's what that's called, scam for the gram. Um, I thought that was funny. So the problem is, though, because, because then, so if this device becomes the filter the pipeline for all social engagement, which is what's happening now. It's the pipeline upon which that we have all interaction. It's mediated and it's, it's curated in a certain way that I might not be prepared to deal with. Because if I can put it down and recognize reality, I can see a group of women here that are having a great time, that lives aren't all just soft pink and white. And you try to engage with people in reality. In reality. So, 
The gift of social media is that it brings us together. The dangers of social media is that it increases comparison. It, it can increase jealousy and in, in lack of, um, uh, of, of confidence in, in oneself. And, and then also increases the, the, that FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, so I had the guys read Darren Greatly for my pastoral counseling class. And that's a great book. Um, and in the book, she, she gets to one, uh, one of the chapters, is chapter four, I believe, where she gets into the differences between, between men and women and the way they experience shame. So if you don't know who Brene Brown is, she's a social researcher who is uh, the theory of choice that she, she uses for her qualitative studies is grounded theory. What grounded theory is, is that you do interviews, you ask a lot of people the same question. When you ask a lot of people the same question, you tend to get similar answers. And when you get similar answers, you can step back and try to um, code the data in a certain way that you can kind of understand what's happening kind of conceptually across groups. And so when she asked the question, how do you experience love? What she said is that what everybody was telling her was how they really experienced heartache. So then she shifted her, her question to say, well, then how do you experience shame? And she initially started by just studying women. And then she was challenged, the funny story that she shares about how she was challenged, to then start studying men. And so asking the same question, how do you experience shame? And there are noticeable differences between how men experience shame and how women experience shame. In the book, she says that women experience shame primarily in three different ways. The first one is, and I kind of already alluded to this, is beauty. Beauty. Uh, physicality, physical appearance, particularly. We, as a culture, tend to size women up based on their physical aesthetics. Um, we do with men, but it's not the same way. We put a, we put a lot of weight on how a woman looks. And again, how do, how do I feel about this? Well. Um, a woman's look certain doesn't define everything about who she is. I get it, 100%, yeah. But there is something about a woman, and Luan Brizendine talks about this in her book, that women get certain pleasures when it comes to, to, to look at this, look at how beautiful this room is. I mean, I'm telling you, like, who I, I, no, like, I couldn't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, you know. I don't even know where I would do it, it doesn't matter. The, the hair, the attention to, to the shade of the, 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 the I, what, I don't even know what all you put on your face, okay? But like, <laughs> whatever all the five or six different products are that you put on your face, you know what shade works with your skin tone and try to match that and you find the product that works with that. And, and, and then you have to make sure that the other product that you put on, whatever it is that goes in the other place, has to match whatever that is. And then that whole thing has to match with your outfit from top to bottom. <laughs> Do it. Awesome. Awesome. So there is something inside of a woman that, that's drawn to that, that desires that, that wants to be beautiful. Absolutely. Does want to be desired. Absolutely. Of course. Honor that. Own that. But the problem is then when, it's, when, it, becomes a, when, it, when it becomes a problem is when it becomes a sole definer of who you are. And that's what can drudge up a lot of shame. Then. So shame, as she speaks about it, is, is um, uh, the difference between guilt and shame is this, according to her research. Guilt is behavior-based. I've done something wrong. Um, shame would be identity-based. I am something wrong, okay? And that I am dumb, I am something wrong is, is something that is uh, harder to change than your behavior. Because now we're talking about something related to identity. So if I don't measure up physically, it may immediately bring up a sense of shame that I am not as good as X, right? Um, so beauty becomes a place where it can be a real trigger for, for, for women. Second thing that she says is that because women, again, this is my conjecture, I will say my conjecture based on what I said earlier with women's capacity 
to do a lot of things and hold the baby and kick the kids and cook the soup, right? And then vacuum and then toss the baby up on the other hand and then do the same thing, right? It's amazing. What happens then is that you get judged by that. So one of the lies, and here I am to debunk a lie that maybe many of you women have heard. You don't have to do everything. And I think if there's one message that our culture erroneously has put on women in our day and age, it's that one. And in an effort to for women empowerment, and I believe wholeheartedly that women need to be empowered 100%, we may have swung too far in the other way. Where women, I feel, in my counseling practice and in conversations with others, crushed by the fact that they feel pressure have to do everything. And you, women in this room, will not be able to do everything that you desire. Period. You can't. You can't. None of us can. I can't. You can't. None of us can. We can't. We can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. So that narrative, I'm giving you permission to just go ahead and say, peace out, right? Get it out. Get it out. Because you can't. It's, it, it, it's impossible. It's impossible because we're all, all, every single one of us are limited. I'm, I'm limited in, in, in time and space and body, right? Like, this is who I am. This is it. Like, I, like and part, of, part of being human, part of being a person is embracing those limitations. That's part of who we are is embracing the limitations. So I got to know what I'm good at. I got to know what I can't do. And then I want to focus on the strengths because if I, if I live in the lane where I'm doing what I'm good at, then I'm happy. That's how, how we define That's You want to be a happy person? Know what you're good at, set the bar high, and do something meaningful in your life. That's what leads to happiness. But this pressure of I got to do everything, and I got to be everything, and I got to do all this stuff, right? So what Brene Brown says is that this leads to pressure, which then says you have to do everything. But the challenge is because it connects to the first one is you got to do everything, but then you got to look good doing it all. (laughs) Gosh. Thank you. Thank you. So you got to look cool. You can't sweat, right? Or that's not sweat. What do women do? They glisten. They shine. I shine. I'm not sweating. I'm shining, right? I'm glowing. That's it. I'm glowing. That's the word, right? So that, the third piece then, what she says is is motherhood. Shame related to motherhood in comparison. And she does a beautiful job in the book saying, even single women get the dreaded question, you know, like when are you going to have kids? So so there tends to be a lot of of shame that comes up there. Now, I get it. Listen, I believe. Maybe I'm old-fashioned here, but I believe that a man, the fulfillment of, of a man's role is fatherhood, right? Everything a man does should lead towards, towards being a dad. And I would say the same thing for a woman, in that everything should lead towards being a mom. Now, I will say that doesn't necessarily mean naturally, okay? Emotional, spiritual motherhood, so to speak. The, the ability to beget life, um, to give life to another is something that is entirely feminine. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you see that play out physically, certainly, but how does that play out kind of emotionally and spiritually? It's awesome. Things that you can kind of chew on for the rest of your life and, and never fully get it. So the gift of motherhood is there. What does it mean to be a mom? How do you express that in your own life? How do you, how do you live that, you know, even now if you're a single woman? How do you, how do you live that maternal dimension that, that you bring? Or do you feel judged by that? Do you feel shame within that? So, so the shame then goes into those things, beauty, doing everything, and, and motherhood, because those things are kind of woven right into the fabric of who women are. 
And so, of course, it would be those things that if we don't feel like we're comparing ourselves, to, if we're comparing ourselves to others and we don't feel like we're measuring up to others, of course those would be the things that then lead us to the greatest amount of shame. You with me? So what's the answer? What's the answer? Throw your phones away. No, I wish. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. It's not. It's not. I will say with regards to phones, first and foremost, limit your use, certainly. I would set a timer on your phone. You can do this now on your, on your fancy iPhones. They have uh, the time app on it. And you can go into the settings and go social media, 30 minutes. Set a limit. Bam. If you don't know how to do that, come see me afterwards. I'd be happy to show you. Right? So um, whenever I'm on Facebook or Instagram, once it hits 30 minutes, the, the white screen pops up and it says, you want more time? And I'm like, mm, no. Right? Sometimes I'm like, yes. <laughs> it depends how guilty I feel. Um, so you can set those timers. 30 minutes is really the max that you, anybody should, should, should be on social media. Um, the problem is that 30 minutes actually goes by a lot faster than we realize. When, when you study people who use the phones, they'll ask, well, how long were you on? You're like, oh, like five minutes, you know? <laughs> 45 minutes was reality, you know? I was like, really, like 45 minutes? You're like, what? You, know, you, you ever had that? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you go on in the night, and you're like, oh, it's 9.30. I have like 30 minutes where I can get on. And it's like 11 o'clock. You're like, what? <laughs> what happened? And I don't even feel better. I don't even feel good about myself, right? So set the timer, 30 minutes, turn the darn thing off, and get on with your life, okay? So that's a simple way when it comes to it. When it comes to shame in general, even when it stretches outside of, of, um, uh, of uh, uh, social media, my strong encouragement is learning how to slow one's thinking down. Learn how to slow one's thinking down. Mindfulness exercises go a long way with this. Attentiveness, awareness of being able to draw focus when it comes to that. Um, so that's going to help you in a lot of ways. I will, I will say this, that helps you in, in life. And, uh, and if I may, just give just a little bit of relationship advice, if I may, and even just sex advice, if I can offer that right now. Um, that narrative goes all the time. And so actually what will help a woman, wife, I may say that, engage is with her husband who, who loves her and respects her first and foremost. But then two, her capacity to re-engage means that she has to shut down all the things. You can't be thinking about the laundry and the dishes and pick up school tomorrow and the shopping list, and the school stuff, and all this other, you can't think about all of that, and at the same time, try to have healthy, fun sex. Just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. All right? So, slow it down. Slow the thought down. Be mindful. Be, be journey and being able to grow in your in awareness in that. And if you want some resources, I'd be happy to help you with that. So, the second thing is then, if because of shame, we end up walking around with armor, that's Brene Brown's language, um, Learn how to be vulnerable, right? Learn how to be, be courageous in your vulnerability. If you are a social media influencer and you have 10,000 people that follow you um, and you're not doing it for a business or for helping others, uh, post a picture of yourself without makeup. Post a, be, be a little bit more vulnerable when it comes to that. Um, be willing to show up. Pixar does a wonderful job with this. With their, they have a great culture in their, in their, um, in their company. And one of the mottos that they live by is, I wrote it down because it's beautiful. It says, with the animators who are showing their, their pieces to one another, they say, show rough, show early, and show often. All right? So show the rough draft, show it often, show it early, and show it often. So they want to see the, the unfinished product. 
right? That's encouraged as a company. Imagine if that was life, right? Like life in general, if we were encouraged to show the, the, the rough sides of ourselves. Beautiful. We would live with a lot more freedom, would we not? But we can't wait for society to tell us to, to, to show that. We have to be vulnerable and courageous enough to be able to offer that. Just give it. Show rough, show early, show often. Be vulnerable, be courageous. Resist the temptation to be everything to everyone, like I said. And the fourth point that I'll add, uh, well, okay, so fourth point, and then I got a fifth point. The fourth point, Brene Brown says this beautifully. She says, that, you know what the answer to FOMO is? The answer to FOMO is JOMO. JOMO is the joy of missing out, right? <laughs> so if you find yourself with your family on Instagram, looking at your friends having a great time, be like, you know what? I'm having a great time, too, watching this lame movie. Doesn't matter, because I love my family. <laughs> Bam. Let it go, right? Embrace the joy of missing out, because you can't be everywhere. So embrace the fact that you are where you are, and that's right here, and that's with us. And appreciate the gift of the moment and of the place where you're at, and stop comparing yourself and looking at what everybody else is doing, because maybe, just maybe, right now is enough. And if we can believe that right now is enough, if this moment is enough, then, then maybe, if you can believe this, and my encouragement is for you to believe this, that sometimes you're not enough is enough. If you can believe that you're not enough is enough, then you can begin living a courageous life that actually will move you forward. The problem with shame is that it prevents us from moving forward in life. It actually gets in the way of us being able to, to live our goals and live our dreams. But if we can silence that voice, if we can surround ourselves with people who really love us and really encourage us, if we have that security in that base and we're willing and courageous enough to face our fears and put ourselves out there and be seen, now we're moving towards life of fulfillment. Now we're moving towards something actually going to bring meaning and purpose in our life. So women, embrace you're not enough. Embrace you're not enough in all aspects of your life. You are beautiful. Embrace the gift of that. Embrace who you are and how you manifest that beauty to the world. Embrace the gifts that you have and how you bring that into the particular circumstances that you find yourself in. Embrace the complexity of your emotional life and your hormones that go up and down and recognize that that's part of who you are. Embrace it all because we have no other choice. What's the, what's the opposite? We always embrace it, we accept it, and we move forward. Or we live in shame and in regret. And when we live in shame and regret, we can't actually accomplish anything. And we get stuck. And then what happens is if we live in shame and regret for all of our life, we become old. And then we live in cynicism. And cynicism and despair is an awful, awful, awful place to be. Awful place to be. So, you want to find meaning in your life? Again, it's quite simple. Dedicate your life to somebody else. You want to do something good on social media? Bless people, love people. But that starts, again, by loving yourself and embracing your own limitations and your own gifts. So, that's all I got. <laughs> Thanks. This is Dr. Mario coming in at the close. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that it blessed you and informed you. 
to just better understand the challenges that, that women face today. So if you are a woman and I was out of line, please let me know. But if you are blessed and encouraged by the material that I offered here, thank you so much. And I, I look forward to being able to hearing that as well. Again, thanks to Lauren Lagarde and her team for putting on such a beautiful, beautiful evening. And thanks to all the women that were in attendance and for your questions and conversations afterwards and just the, the great energy that we had in that space. So I hope listening to this that you can gather that I love speaking in front of groups. And if you are at a parish, at a diocese, at some other organization that you're looking for a speaker to come in and to offer some reflections on faith, on family life, on how to live with hope, or on social media and current issues related to psychological difficulties, then I would be honored and pleased to be able to join you and to speak in front of your group. So if you are interested, please find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa or send me an email at msacasa at willwoods.org. Again, that's msacasa at willwoods.org. And hopefully we'll get to see one another. So thanks everybody for your support of the show. It really means so much to me. It's such a blessing to be able to serve you through this particular medium. It's been a sincere gift to me. And uh, so I'm grateful for the feedback and the, the great affirmations that I received from all my listeners. So God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. Take care. Bye-bye.